Hello, and welcome to Lens, the podcast brought to you by British Screen Forum. My name is John Gisby, and I'm delighted that you're listening. Welcome to episode nine of Lens, in which I'm joined by Mike Darcy, who was head of strategy and then COO at Sky, and who therefore has a very different perspective on public service broadcasting, as it comes from a vantage point outside the circle of PSB broadcasters and institutions. He suggests that the BBC is already a pay TV provider, just not one that consumers have any choice over. He also lays out why Sky opposed many of the initiatives that PSB has pushed for, particularly Project Kangaroo, but also that the current mix of broadcasters and business models mean that UK audiences are served exceptionally well. I should point out that this was recorded in the British Screen Forum office and we had one or two issues with the quality of the audio, but I hope that doesn't spoil your enjoyment. Uh, fantastic. So, delighted today to be joined by Mike Darcy. Welcome, Mike. Good morning. Uh, very well indeed. Very well indeed. And very much looking forward to this. You are the first person that we've had in this series uh, who has not actually worked for a public service broadcaster or legislated for public service broadcasting or regulated a public service broadcaster. First person from the dark side. <laughs> no, not at all. But first person, I suspect, uh, to see all of this um, uh, from a different angle. Um, and in a sense, that's that's what we're, we're, we're really interested in kind of teasing out. Uh, so, uh, Mike, for those that... I doubt there will be many people listening to this who don't know who Mike is. Um, but amongst many other things, and particularly in the context today, um, I think 15 years at Sky... I was going to say man and boy, but uh, uh, like it. rather dominated the career. Yeah. There from relatively days, first as director of strategy um, with a with a sort of I suspect heavy policy engagement as part of all of that, and then um, lastly as, as COO. Um, I'm going to start with a memory that I have. I think it was a, a Royal Television Society Cambridge convention, and you were on a panel. I think with the then director of the BBC, and the then CEO of ITV, and the then CEO of Channel 4. And the moderator let them all debate for a bit, and then brought you into the conversation and said, what do you think of all of that? Um, and my memory of what you said was, well, I mean, essentially, there's the debate, and they're engaging with it again, and that's fine, and they, they kind of get on with that. And then, they, then sometimes they swap seats between each other in terms of who's doing which job. Uh, meanwhile, we're over here actually building a successful and valuable business based on what consumers want, and uh, and we're getting on with life. Um, in that context, on a kind of day-to-day basis, was the PSB debate in its various Ofcom shades ever a direct relevance to the day-to-day decision-making at Sky, or was it all noises off? Um, I, it was sort of an important part of the backdrop, I suppose. Um, you know, it's the it's the context. Um, Within which you operate. I, I guess you know when Sky started and when I started, it's not something you really thought about or argued about because it just sort of was. That was the TV industry. That was the backdrop against which you were seeking to build a business. And the sort of arguments for a degree of public intervention were pretty, you know, sort of clear and well understood. Um, you, know, you have a limited spectrum, and and so you know there's a plausible case to be made for, for public intervention and, and, and for people to be appointed to, to operate a business over that spectrum and for that to come with responsibilities and obligations but also privileges in return for meeting certain commitments and the like. But then I guess it all it sort of started to change through time as um, the, the shortage of spectrum you know, which had been the sort of fundamental underpinning of that logic, started to become less of an issue. And, and as m- more distribution became available, more content providers came into the industry, the market started to do more. Then you did start to ask the question, well, well, hang on, is that degree of intervention from the past, is that still warranted? Is that, uh, you know, what's the argument today? Um, and you know, do we still need that? Is, st- is that still the right thing? So. So yes, it became like a running, a running sort of theme as as competition grew and the market delivered more and more as to whether, you know, particularly the scale and the scope of intervention was still warranted. So yeah, look, it wasn't in everybody's mind, but in the strategy and the policy areas and you know around around the top table, yes, it was something that people thought about because it had significant influence on on our prospects. 
challenger brands often start with um, a kind of definition not only of what their purpose is and the, and the opportunity they see, but almost by defining themselves against what they're not. Was there a degree to which there was you could get some grit and traction by being sort of different and providing something different? Um, or, were, or were you just out there implementing a, a strategy that you thought was right for the market? Um, a little bit of both, I think. I mean, I think, you know, probably the core, you know, sort of founding idea that, that underpinned Sky and, and lasted, you know, for a very long time was that the, the market deserved more choice. Um, that the, the consumer value choice, even if they didn't quite understand it when it was presented to them, they would, they would value it. And I think if you look at today, I think that's unambiguously true. Yep. Not too many people would argue that today. Uh, and and that you know there was a there was an established industry that was pretty tight, uh, and was you know quite happy with the way things were. And that you know if you were going to offer the consumer more choice, you were probably going to have to fight against that a bit because there were plenty of you know, forces you know sort of quite happy with the status quo and not wanting that disrupted. Um, and so yes, it was going to be a little bit of a battle. And yeah, we probably did feel you know a little bit like outsiders. Um, and then probably slightly cultivated that um, as a sort of, you know, sort of cohering sort of idea and force. Um, wasn't too hard to keep it alive because we were <laughs> reminded we were outsiders. I think many many times. So. <coughs> I think I'm just looking at Craig here. I think this is probably the seventh, eighth, ninth one of these we've done. I think this is. I think it's the tenth. Tenth. Um, I think this is the first time we've actually talked about Spectrum. Really interesting. Um, that's where it I, of course, I mean that, that's the, Tony uh, Tony Aggie, who was one of the one of the big thinkers um, at the BBC <coughs> back in the day, is now uh, chief digital officer of the New York Public Library. I think I remember his seeing him, an online response from him to a speech by Russell T Davis, where Russell T Davis basically said, "Look at what the license fee gives you. It gives you Doctor Who and Strictly and all those kind of things." Um, and he just said that's starting in the wrong place because the because the license fee fundamentally was always about access to Spectrum. It's not about what content do you get as a result? You've got to go to the underlying kind of distribution here, and it makes sense if you stack up in that argument if there's if there's scarcity that. of spectrum. Yeah. We've sort of forgotten that, and we talk about PSB in a very different way today. But in a sense, we have slightly lost track of where this started, and that's where some of the challenges around, well, what is the rationale today? And you sort of have to start, well, what was the rationale? What has changed? And if, if it's not about spectrum now, then you sort of have to start again and say, well, why? Look, and there are plausible answers to that question, but you do have to answer the question. And in a way, that's what's, what we're trying to get to in these conversations is, if we're going to ask those questions, let's go back to the sort of first principles as to what this was all about, because otherwise the risk is you get lost in the haze of institutions and legacy and um, we won't have Doctor Who anymore, which, and that, that's not necessarily the right place to start in terms of, in terms of how we evolve it from here. Um, it strikes me there's a... Well, actually, but before I move on to that, the, there's a, the, the, the endless, I'm, as I, I'm sure you have had to respond to and sit in select committees and goodness knows what, the endless Ofcom reviews and, and kind of periodic statements on, on PSB and um, its, uh, it, its sort of uh, ongoing health. Uh, and over the years, the purpose of PSB content has morphed slightly, but broadly it's around um, uh, universal availability of content that can serve not just entertainment, but education and social mobility and national identity and informed citizens and all the rest. To what extent in your dealings with politicians do you get the sense that they understand the policy nuances of all of that? Uh, or is it essentially a, uh, a, a kind of an engagement with a set of institutions and, and, uh, and not wanting to kind of turn off popular shows to their constituents? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, I think, I think the deeper sort of arguments around, you know, the full the pros and cons and, and the arguments for and against and where the lines should be and how much intervention. I, I don't think very many politicians have engaged with that. Many of them are not in post long enough to, to That's true. get yep. to grips with it before, before they're moved on. You know, it's a bit of a revolving <coughs> door. Um, I mean, you have you know, some sort of you know, long-term people on select committees who are probably devoting more time to this. But yes, you do. I mean, I still had a feeling, uh, quite a lot of the time, that a lot of it was about just sort of, you know, the status quo and maintaining it and not disrupting it and not wanting 
there to be problems that would you know, cause them to get lots of letters from their constituents that, that they would find awkward. Um, I'm reminded of a, a quote we had uh, specifically about Ofcom, um, which is a, a recent publication about Ofcom, which is that in the view of the writer, Ofcom's greater geriatric care, but not necessarily kind of um, midwifery and bringing, bringing new things to the fore. Um, so sort of preserving the status quo and, and, uh, and, and, and figuring out how, how, I mean, really since the first Ofcom report, there's been a sense of this probably can't last forever, but it's, but it's, it's okay for now and we'll look at it again in five years. Um, yeah, seems look, to be think, the status of the report. Quite a universal observation about regulation, and, and the, that you know, it, it, it tends to be the market that, that brings about new stuff. And you know, most sort of you know, attempts at sort of industrial planning don't particularly work that well. You know, they tend to become systems for preserving and protecting the status quo. There's, there's plenty of examples of that in history here and in many other places. So yes, you you you. I mean, I think, you know, there has been much innovation in this market, but a lot, lot of that has been driven by Ofcom. Sometimes it's been in spite of Ofcom. One of the, um, when we sort of talked about one of the sort of founding principles being, being spectrum scarcity and, and how to make best use of that commercially and, and for sort of social purposes. Um, it strikes me that uh, both in some of the stuff that, that comes out from the PSP side of the debate, but also in some of the, the, the things that Sky over the years um, has put forward, there's a, fundamentally, there's a fundamental difference in the view of the consumer and the viewer. Um, and at one end of the spectrum, I remember a, a Charter Renewal document or a kind of an academic study that was supporting Charter Renewal at one stage, which had an incredibly paternalistic statement in it that, that quality content is a bit like quality education, quality healthcare, left to their own devices, most people wouldn't buy as much as is good for them. Uh, so therefore you have to intervene and essentially eat your broccoli because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good for you and we'll, we'll make the broccoli taste great, but essentially it's a, it's a kind of paternalistic view. Um, whereas uh, I think um, James Murdoch and others have sort of most memory said, you know, don't treat, treat people like grown-ups and they, they empower, empower consumers to take their own choices. Uh, and they will do that wisely, and that's the right, that's the best possible outcome, um, and so on. Again, how much of that sort of underlying philosophy around building building businesses and building content propositions that consumers will value, that seems to be the kind of a pretty defining core purpose of, of what, what Sky's been built on. Yes, I think that's right. Um, I think it really was all about choice um, and a response to you know, a slightly paternalistic structure that had been in place. I mean, again, you go back to Spectrum, when you've only got one channel or two or three channels, then yes, I can imagine you know, a reasonable case made, I mean, not in all countries, but, yep. but here, that you know, we should think hard about what sort of content we want to put on, because there isn't a huge amount of choice, so we don't just let people randomly put you know, lowest common denominator content on, say. But I think you've got two problems in the end. That that that, you know, as as distribution has you know become democratised and available to all, the genie sort of out of the bottle in terms of choice. And I think I guess we sort of saw that coming and <coughs> saw that as quite empowering to the consumer. You can still make an argument to to create content that that that, that people might not otherwise gravitate towards. But now you've got a new problem, and that is. You can make it, but you, you, you can read a water to water, but you can't make them drink. Um, so you can't necessarily make them watch it. So there's a bit of a bind there as to you know, once distribution has been fully democratised, and I guess that was always going to happen, um, you know, what, what becomes the rationale now? Because yes, you can make you know, very worthy content that you feel in a sort of paternalistic sense that people should watch. You can't force them to sit down and watch it when they've got... 500 other choices, or now literally millions of choices available to them that are pushing the button. They might find it, they might discover it, uh, and they might stick with it, and that's, and that's great, but you, you have to have a lot of intervention to, to, to sort of try and make that stick. It's quite hard to force that on people. And within that, that kind of framework, the underpinning of particularly interventions like the license fee, which is essentially this is because everybody has to fund it, everybody has to have, every, everybody has to be served, and vice versa. Um, 
over time becomes harder and harder to sustain, and the amount of money going into the pot becomes um, becomes constrained because the, because they're spending elsewhere. It's, yes, diffi it's difficult it's to reconcile the, the universality piece. Yeah. Because you know, I guess you know, I go back to the beginning of, of you know, sort of Sky's first engagement with this idea of ESP, and, and I guess you, you know, one of the fundamental divergences between Sky and the and the PSB ecology was that we perhaps naively thought that there was a good argument that as the market provided more, the state would perhaps intervene less. But apparently it was entirely the opposite, uh, and that was principally the argument that held sway for certainly good, a, good, a good 10 years or more. But as the market was able to do more, the argument seemed to be that there needs to be more intervention the BBC needs more resources to do more things um, uh, to sort of compete with the market or, or, or to maintain <coughs> its profile within the market. And then, of course, ITV needed more you know, things in its favour to make sure, sure that it too didn't suffer or, or you know, either at the hands of the market or at the hands of the BBC, in fact. So I think we were somewhat sort of, you know, confused <laughs> as to uh, you know, why as the market did more and more and more and more, uh, more intervention was needed, which seemed inconsistent with the original idea. Um, but I think well, uh, yeah, but there's it, uh, a certain <coughs> short term as to that because it just can't go on and on and on. And I think we're sort of slightly seeing a backlash to that now. That, you know, I think you know, the BBC is having to ask much tougher questions now about what it does, uh, because you can only take the licence fee so far before people start to go, hang on, you know, I'm only paying five ninety nine for Netflix and I'm paying thirteen fifty or whatever it is a month for the licence fee. You know, is that really necessary? And so you know, there was a huge expansion, uh, and then there has been a degree of retren retrenchment because I just don't think it was sustainable. I suspect the countervailing argument would be if, if in the in the charter, the obligation is to is to provide universal as techniques, for example, if the, if the, if the, if the obligation is to provide things for everybody, and things are now moving online or things are moving onto multi-channel, therefore the BBC needs to follow in that direction, and therefore that's what the resources yeah, are for. It's that, it's the, that, that's and the, that. Indeed, was the argument. <coughs> Again, it's a matter of scale and scope. Yeah. And that, you know, that that became the defining argument. You know, I must have been asked a hundred times. In, you know, are you are you are you advocating the removal of the license fee or are you the abolition of the BBC? And the answer was always the same for about fifteen years. It was, it's about the scale and scope. And, and yeah, so how many channels um, and how much of a internet presence and, and and how much crowding out is going on as a result of that? In my sense, reading through. Um, some of the kind of the Ofcom reports that that Sky submitted and DCMS select committees and all the rest of it, there was the 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 core argument uh, was actually pretty consistent all the way through the period. Yeah, I think so. My little trip down memory <laughs> and, and reading some of the things that you sent that that happened after I left. Yeah, yeah. The basic the basic strand is the same. So there's the so there's providing more and more, and and so. You know the argument for 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 the you know state to fund more and more is perhaps less. Come on to the state point in a second, but the the. Uh, but, the but there's one catch that 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 was the problem in that argument throughout. Which was. And that was the point about it being free. Right. And that's the argument we could never get over, in the end, that you know there was a very you know sort of deeply held view that that. PSB was free uh, and widely available, and most of the market innovation and new entry and new content was, you know, by force of circumstance, was likely to be paid for, and that's still the case today. Uh, it didn't seem to matter what what we did, what content we made, you know, how many period dramas or documentaries or arts channels or whatever we aspired to make. It would never count uh, because it was painful, um, and you can sort of try and have that argument 
uh, uh, and try and say, well, is that is that really necessary to have that line? Um, you know, we sort of pay for most things in life. You know, we pay for our homes, we pay for our food, and if some people can't pay, we have a social security system to transfer resources to them so that they can afford things. And you can have an argument about, yep. so why does television have to be free? But if you try to make that argument in the UK, people just look at you blankly, like, like you're mad and you're from another planet. Whereas in other countries, that argument doesn't really exist in the same way. But, but, but here it is such a deeply held fundamental view that to be PSB it must be free. Which I think just sort of structurally defined <coughs> an in-crowd and an out-crowd for all time, really. Um, because you just couldn't really break into that in-crowd. So. Well, it'd be, I mean, obviously it'd be interesting to see how, how it evolves from here and the, the kind of, again, one of the themes um, from pretty much every Ofcom PSB review that you read, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thread that you can pull that says the license fee probably isn't sustainable in the long run in its current format, so the BBC needs to think about subscription. Which arguably they are with the with the, the UK TV channels they've now got. Um, Channel Four is probably not sustainable. Well, I'll argue they're a subscription broadcaster today, but come to that. Oh, exactly. Well, yeah, they're, they're in, well, except except that you can't really opt out of it. It's a sort of compulsory subscription, um, which is, no, you is can. A, sort of a tautology. No, I think the point is that you can. Uh, interesting. Only how would you how would you deprive yourself of availability of BBC content? Um, you, I mean, I just look at you know people the age of my kids you know they don't have this broadcast television thing in the living room um, they don't watch they're, they're quite happy to arrange their affairs such as such that they're not liable to pay the license fee because they're not receiving a broadcast television service they opt out of out of watching iPlayer and so they're not liable. And they can access an enormous yep. array of content, including all the rest of the PSBs, as long as they watch yep. them on their, on their players. So as long as they're watch, not watching broadcast, they can watch all the rest Sounds of the PSBs on their players. Um, you know, content from Sky on Now TV on their player, um, as well as Netflix and Prime and Disney and Discovery and so on and so on and so on. There's an enormous amount of content they can watch. And they're not liable to pay the license fee. And I think it's a fundamental issue that there are people who are increasingly <coughs> coming to understand that. And if they think that £159 is too much, then they, they don't need to pay they're it. And they don't. Um, so it is genuinely becoming a choice. I mean, I choose to pay it because yep. there's lots of great stuff there for me, but I'm of a certain age. And yep. I suspect that segment. I don't think my kids will ever do so. I suspect that segment at the moment is is uh, fairly small and focused, um, but growing. Sure. I think it's growing. Um, um, I think you're starting to see it in the in the in the numbers of. You know, I think it's part of the reason why the BBC is under revenue pressure, because I think it is an option that people are aware of. It may not be people our age, yep. but I think, yeah, people setting up home. People had gone to university and perhaps, you know, their laptop was the home of their entertainment and continues to be so, rather than a television in the living room. Um, they asked themselves, do I need this license fee thing? Gosh, it's a lot of money. Oh, maybe I'll just watch that show when I'm at home with mum and dad. And the rest of it, I'm maybe watching Netflix. So. Yeah. And just want to kind of come back to the, the, the sort of, <laughs> the sense that there's a system and then people outside the system. And the blank stares as to why, but you know, this should be free. I mean, some of the conversations that we've had, uh, we had a conversation with um, uh, probably best example with David Putnam, Lord Putnam. Um, from his point of view, PSB is is part of the post-war social contract. So it's it's a, you know it's it's in the same bucket as free education and the National Health Service and all the rest of it. It is a it is part of being a citizen that you pay a certain amount of money. It's not. I'm sure I know how you can react to this, but it's it's not a state intervention from that point of view. It is money that, as a citizen and as a consumer, you pay, and as a result, you get the benefits back from it. It's not quite taxation, and people sort of get that nuance of it's not state; it's somewhere in between the two. Um, again, that has that the 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 shelf life of that has proven to be quite long as an idea. Um, but 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 by the sound of it, from the from the behaviour that you're seeing with your your kids and others, 
it's it's harder and harder to sustain that as an argument. Well, well I think there's some mythologizing about you know where the license fee came from because in in one sense in the early days it was a subscription service then as well because we didn't make everybody pay for it. We didn't right. run the argument this is a public good everybody shall pay for it because actually only people who had a television yep paid for it and if you wanted to opt out you you did so by not having a television yep and and we didn't say ah well that's a bit cheeky but we think this is public good so you have to pay anyway we said if you buy a television then you're probably doing it to watch bbc services at which point you have to pay yep and it gets a bit more complicated when there are there's ITV and a few other things like that. And you think, well, you could maybe argue that you just want to watch ITV, but we think we are probably watching the BBC as well. So it sort of makes sense. Look, you still have to pay. And it all gets slightly blurry when everybody, or pretty much everybody, has a television. And then we think of it as being universal. But it was only universal for a period in the middle there. It wasn't at the beginning. Right. It was a user pays system. And I think it's sort of returning to that. For technological reasons, yep. that that people can basically decide: Do I see value in one hundred and fifty-nine pounds? If so, I pay it. If not, I can arrange my affairs such that I'm not liable to pay it, and I can watch a whole bunch of other stuff. So, I agree. Not everybody understands that, but I think growing numbers of people understand it. And, and the challenge and the choice around it. And I, in one sense, we're going back to where we started. And the challenge then comes, which we'll come on to, is to, is it, does it remain a, a, a single bundle as a, for a single price or start to be unbundled in different business models? And how does that then fit with the uh, with major players in the market who are going to have something to say about that at the time? Um, j- just looking to a, a kind of Sky's approach to the PSB argument all the way through, it strikes me that there's it, it was it was pretty consistent, but different nuances depending uh, at different points of time. So Yeah, what the issue of the day. Yeah, relatively early encouraging kind of recognizing the value, particularly in the BBC's core channels, in getting multi-channel penetration out there in the very early days. Um, Look, and we were you know, very happy that yeah, in the very early days, the BBC took an early decision to supply its channels. Well, it's one of the benefits. On it, I would the t- digital satellite platform, that was, that was crucial. Uh, so they, they took the view that it wasn't their place to you know, sort of make platform choices that if there was a platform and consumers appeared to want to watch content on it, they should be there. Uh, and so they came on. Um, and Channel 4 followed suit. And ITV took a different view. ITV took a highly commercial view not to supply the satellite platform at the time. Um, and it's pretty obvious that it pr- wanted to damage Sky and satellite and prefer DTT and on digital. Yep. And I guess we looked at that and thought, if that's what you think public service is, then I think you've lost the plot. Um, and I, yeah, I think it sort of gave us a fairly sort of jaundiced view of what this PSB thing was really about. And lots of talk of high principles, but in the end, it sort of looked a bit like a protection racket sometimes. It's you know, crowd and. and so I, you know, I think they sort of made a wrong choice there. Although in the in the context of the BBC, Sky obviously benefited from the argument that. Um, universality matters, and therefore, if somebody's going to watch the watch. Our, if somebody's going to be consuming content through this platform, we should be there. Yeah, I think we would run the argument slightly differently. We would have said, if you are on receipt of you know three and a half billion of public money, then you have an obligation to make that available widely yep. and, and not not tell your license fee players what technology they should put in the home. Yep. And then, as the debate unfolded, a mixture of. Uh, containment, if you like, so it's trying to stop the scope creep, and at times also then pushing back and saying, actually, you should be reducing, and then some pragmatism here and there around... there well, with a lot of success. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then with... Um, uh, and then collaborating where appropriate. Um, oh, sp- 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 I mean, sports rights are an obvious example of that, where actually there are deals to be done. Oh, plenty of that. Look, look I mean, I was in, involved in the policy argument, but I was also very closely involved in doing lots of deals with PSBs where there was common interest. And yes, sports rights was definitely one of those areas. I mean, in the early days, Sky was very keen to be able to expand its sports portfolio. Um, Some sports had 
you know, sort of made the move and were happy to go pay TV. Some were a bit more cautious about that and wanted to retain some foot in the PSB free-to-air, broadly distributed camp. Uh, and so, yes, there were definitely partnerships to be done there. And, you know, so often a joint bid between a pay and a free broadcaster was the right way to go. I always teased the BBC that it was a funny kind of partnership. Their job was to bring the reach and my job was to bring the cash. <laughs> were they easy to partner with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, whatever arguments we might have been having on, you know, sort of conference stages, they're pretty pragmatic. <laughs> you know, when it, you know, if they thought that they had a better prospect of hanging on to some content, if they were partnered with us and we were paying a premium to have some content in the pay environment, then yeah, that was a that was very much a pragmatic choice that they were willing to make. Um, yeah, so we did sports deals with everybody really. Um, at different times according to what their interests were. One of the questions we've asked uh, in a lot of these conversations has been from a P with looking through a kind of a, a PSB lens, um, what were the opportunities missed along the way? Uh, pretty universally, the one that comes to the top of the list is Kangaroo. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my two questions, firstly, were you surprised that Kangaroo didn't get through? Um, and secondly, my guess is, you were Sky as a whole was fairly active at point uh, in 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 kind of pushing back against those proposals, and then I guess my third question is: Would it have been a good idea if Kangaroo had gone through? Yeah, I mean, so yes, we were surprised. I mean, it it's probably something that at the time we hadn't given an enormous amount of thought to. It's not like we were really super agitated, but you know, the fact is that that in the years leading up to that we were subject to just a rolling set of regulatory inquiries and investigations and you know we were pretty worn down by some of that and we you know did observe that the PSBs were all happily weighing in on those complaining about us and making all the arguments against us even when it appeared to have absolutely nothing to do with them and when it was a fight between us and Virgin Media say, yep. or uh, you know, they were all happy. Basically, if Sky wants it, the answer should be no, and here's my submission. So there was a degree of, oh, well, you've been complaining about us at every step, so we're going to complain about you. Um, so, yeah, we did go in quite hard on that one. Um, and there was a bit of, yeah, what goes around comes around. We were absolutely stunned that, that <laughs> it was actually as, were, as everybody because, else you know, we were very <clears throat> used to the idea that, that what the PSBs want they get and whatever Sky says is just ignored um, so I, 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 I have trouble with the, with the idea that it was our submissions that caused it to be blocked because if so that's the only time <laughs> in which anybody listens to our submissions rather than the PSBs so there was something else going on there, and I just think we, we happened to be on the side of people that were arguing against it. But the, I, I mean, I, I thought it was I thought it was surprising. And when you looked at it in the years to follow, you thought, and you see what's happened in other countries around the world, yes, you think a sort of unified sort of PSB, um, you know, on-demand player, had a lot of common sense going for it, you know, given the way the world was going. I think the interesting thing now, though, is that you know you could tell those guys today, you know, okay, sorry about that um, misunderstanding. Like, <laughs> crack on, all get together. They wouldn't yeah. do it today, notwithstanding the challenges that they face from Netflix and Amazon and everybody else. I think they're now pretty deeply invested in in their own players and their own brands, uh, and I think it would be very, very hard for them to come together. So, well, so yeah. you know given that they prefer that today, maybe they were saved from something <laughs> that they would later regret. Who knows? Who knows? I don't think the history books will ever truly get written on that. I suspect that was um, uh, conversations behind closed doors um, that, uh, that that led to that. Um, I want to move on to, uh, I mean, the, setting universality to one side as to whether everybody gets to watch it or not. Sky's investment in, I mean, genres that are kind of core PSB. Um, so, um, arts, news, and, and kids would be the, the three obvious ones. You can you can kind of make the the, the, the case for, for 
big mainstream dramas as being uh, essentially part of an entertainment portfolio alongside sport. <coughs> but those three kind of are the sort of standout uh, genres. Were those where where did where do they sit in terms of actually they made pure commercial sense. Uh, they made commercial sense, and we'd have done them anyway as part of an overall bundle, um, because it was part of the bundle and the proposition of the brand. Or they were table stakes in a bigger conversation around actually uh, we are we are a comprehensive broadcaster, uh, and we're just like the others. We just we're just in a parallel universe. Yeah, so you have to take them in turn, really. So 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 Sky News, you know, goes right back to the beginning. Yep. I mean, it was one of the original channels. Um, but then it went through a, a, a you know a challenging time because what was originally you know plausibly a commercial operation um, yeah it was it was sort of you know good for the brand as well but yep. it was commercial uh, it was like our other channels distributed on cable networks and pay for uh, and then as the digital era arrived at around ninety eight uh, the BBC launched uh, what we would. Direct competitor, a direct copycat competitor, which was free, and suddenly the cable industry announced they would no longer pay a pay a, a penny for Sky News. So, what had been a business model, yep, was destroyed uh, in one fell swoop. And it was look, I I found it tricky because I thought you know that that you know news was in principle sort of at the centre of what you know you want the BBC to be doing. Um, and yet it was pretty hard to stomach, you know, when, you know, they'd simply walked in and destroyed a business that you had. Um, so then you have to give it a lot of thought and say, well, are we done? Do we just like shut this thing? Um, and, you know, obviously the decision was made to carry on. And I think, you know, at times there was, well, maybe we could make enough ad revenue from this to make it pay its way. I think that, or maybe we can keep costs down. Yep. To, to square the circle, and the answer to both those questions was no. That if you want to do it properly, yep. um, it is structurally loss making. <clears throat> and then you have to ask yourself: so, do we keep doing it, or do we close it? And yeah, so that that was a question. But the decision, you know, all through time since then has been to carry on, and that is, you know, as much about yeah the brand recognition and and the and the fact that it you know speaks to. Particularly in those early years, it spoke to people about you know Sky was a serious, grown-up broadcaster, you know that that was doing good things, and maybe you should look at yep. what else they're offering. Um, but it was interesting, you know, when when the battles were going on in the last ten years about <coughs> who might own Sky going forward. Yes, the the sort of primary concern of the regulator was around fear that a new owner might shut Sky News. Well, I mean, look, they had every reason to fear that because it was loss making, and you can imagine somebody going across that. Exactly. There's a good cost saving. Um, yeah, so it seems to have been valued. I mean, Sky Arts is a different story, I suppose, because that 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 came later in the piece, and I I place that, you know, in the in the middle of the journey that that Sky was on from. You know, appealing to its sort of early constituency and facing the fact that, you know, let me just call it the middle classes, were not quite persuaded that they wanted right. to be seen with a satellite dish on their house yep. and taking Sky, even if Dan really didn't want to watch the movie. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, there was a series of things we were looking to do to try and break down those barriers. And... Sky Arts was one of those things that, 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 that on its own, you know, the ad revenue it would generate would not pay its way. But it was a very effective, you know, sort of content area to get into that really did appeal um, to some of those types of home that, that otherwise, you know, would have said no to Sky. Yep. And made some of them think again. Um, and it was at a time when I think you know the BBC and other PSBs were basically stepping back from that area because they were so focused on on some of the <coughs> things. And so I think we did do some good stuff there. So it is a commercial rationale. It's a it's a broader commercial yep. rationale because you're thinking that if I can get the attention of that sort of household with a Sky Arts channel, if they end up coming in for everything else, then then that's very much paid its way. I, I mean, we we sort of 
gave people you know the ability you know when they finally succumbed and put a satellite dish on their house to be able to tell all their friends that oh, oh but I've only got it for the arts <laughs> don't you know? even if Dad really just wants to watch the football but we gave them an excuse yep you know, and and people genuinely do like the content but yes if you if you just looked at it on the ad revenue it makes it doesn't work yep so it has to work as part of a broader bundle and I think it tells you that that actually paid for subscription is a better model than free commercial as a means of funding that sort of content and and kids presumably was part of an overall family family play alongside sport <clears throat> yes and 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 kids was initially really just the carriage of third-party channels yep um, the Nickelodeons of this world and you know, Cartoon Network and Disney um, and all of that and they were very very early uh, in the in the Sky Monster channel bundle they were extremely important partners um, you know there was always still the um, you know the slight sort of looking down the nose at the at the sort of US content or or or, or um, the cartoon yep. type content which was not as nice as you know, the <coughs> TV that the BBC made and look at I understand I understand that point yep. but as as you know all of the PSBs have found you know sort of really good quality kids TV is pretty expensive to make uh, and doesn't often sort of travel that yes. well so yeah it's, yeah. It's hard, um, and partly for Sky, you know, some of those carriage relationships started to break down as we moved into the streaming area, and, and, and some of those channel providers wanted to take content back for their streaming services, and yeah, yep. so we'll get to a couple um, One of the things, again, if you go to any RTS convention, uh, there's a feeling that you know the, the UK is a uniquely brilliant market, and we've sold all this, and so on and so on. Um, with with the kind of breadth of international exposure you had, who else is de debating these issues, and 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 are there markets out there that have got the balance better? So essentially, the kind of the the balance and the overlap between so-called PSB and public service content and so on, versus commercial and and and, and how that that kind of seesaw plays out. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm probably just about as parochial as anybody on this. <laughs> I mean, I. I I'm not sure about the journey, but I think where we've got to is pretty good outcome for consumers. I mean, really, I think I think it is pretty good in terms of you know the amount of content that's available to people. You know, the choice that's there is quite extraordinary. Um, I think there's a good balance between domestically produced content with a sort of local flavour, local voices, and the best of the rest of the world is there. Volume, I think you know we've got good distribution diversity. With you know, we've still got you know strong platforms in DTT and satellite and cable, and you know now the IP base is pretty good as well. Um, I think you've got good viewing environments. Um, I think I think the SkyQ box is 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 one of the best in the world, um, perhaps the best in the world I've seen. You know, in terms of bringing together. Yep. those sort of free elements with the subscription elements with the streaming elements sort of all in one place and solving that complexity problem for people you know, we were we were very early into PBRs we were very early into HD um, I think it's pretty good outcomes even the ads are less irritating in this country than in many many other countries so I think it's a pretty good balance I mean I I I guess the piece I would challenge is that I'm not sure you can give necessarily the politicians the policy <laughs> too much. That's where I was going because next. Because I think a lot of this happened, you know, with a sort of market system fighting against a sort of PSB in crowd. And where we've got to is a sort of like negotiated <laughs> sort of outcome in front of consumers, from which consumers have done pretty well. Yeah. Um, oh, well, let's ask that question the other way around. As a result, do you think it's a bit like the, the the kangaroo piece? If Sky had been more successful in pushing things back, would we have ended up in the in the same good place? It's hard to know, really, isn't it? Because um, it strikes me that that actually having the PSB system to compete against probably gave Sky leaner muscles than it might have had otherwise. Oh, I certainly think that's true. 
I mean, we didn't think so at the time, um, necessarily. But you know, when you look back at it now, uh, I mean, cord, cord cutting is such a big issue in America, yep. uh, and it's not nearly as problematic here. And the reason is that the that the sort of the, there was just a ridiculous pricing bubble yep. grew in America because the the basic cable bundle really faced no competition. So it just got wildly out of hand, and that created an, an enormous incentive for people to look for any other possible source of entertainment, um, and that's why we had Netflix, and because these 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 price opportunities were there, there was such a huge price umbrella under which to sit yep. and build a business. Um, and the trauma has been much less here, and and you look back at well, why that would be, but 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 in part that's because Sky had to grow up against the backdrop of Freeview as a competitor. We didn't like it at the time, but it was a you know a deep, strong, universally available free-to-air offering. So Sky had yeah, Sky developed at a time when we had to offer value set against the backdrop of a really strong free-to-air proposition. And so that pricing bubble didn't yeah. grow in the same way that it did in the US. So yeah, I think where Sky or the pay industry grew up pretty you know, fit and lean, and, and so when the streaming challenge came, I think they were much better prepared for it because yep. they they'd grown up with competition much more so, and so we're ready for it when it came. I'm not sure you could have sold me that story in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now looking back. Um, well, last but not least, I guess is where we go next. I mean, if you. Um, the underlying theme, I think, of a lot of these conversations is that the system we've got has evolved and uh, and made sense of the technological changes that have been there. Uh, I mean, James Murdoch's McTaggart, you know, essentially this is a system that is that is designed for the underlying principles of it's it's sort of dominated by analog thinking at a time of of, of kind of digital um, digital exuberance, uh, limited choices. It's designed as a system for limited choice and central planning. It's designed for spectrum scarcity, and the world has moved on. Over the course of the next five or so years, um, new BBC Charter, uh, all three PSB major broadcast licenses coming up for renewal, uh, the ring fencing of Sky News budget um, coming to an end, um, if ever there was a moment for actually how do we re how do we redesign the system and make it fit for purpose going forward? Because again, taking one of the points that Sky has consistently made is that the approach on regulation to all of this system has been to look at inputs rather than outputs and impact. And if you look at the impacts, they've all gone down. So the the content budgets that are available for investment in that type of con uh, PSB content uh, have shrunk. The available audiences for them are shrinking. Yeah. Um, as as viewer uh, attention fans out. So at some point, you either let the system just kind of um, evolve and, 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 and adapt, but fundamentally dilute, uh, or you redesign it and say, actually, this is the solid ground we want to stand on, and, and here's what we're going to do here, and here's what we're going to do here, and here's, here's how the pieces fit together. Be interested to get your views on, on where you sit between let the, let the system evolve versus actually redesign it from first principles, and, it, and either who is actually going to do that thinking, because it strikes me at the moment the industry isn't necessarily Ofcom isn't necessarily, nor is DCMS, and people have got quite a lot on their plates. Yeah, look, I think I'm much more in the camp of, of let it evolve. It is, it is evolving. I think it's hard to. I think it's hard to say there's a big problem. Um, I think there are many bigger problems <laughs> <laughs> that people could be thinking about. If they think the television industry in this country is a problem, then I think they need to get out a bit more. <laughs> there are plenty of other challenges to go and. I mean, I think you know the market is delivering you know a fantastic array of content and technology and innovation, and you know, people look to be pretty happy. Um, yes, um, you know the PSBs are spending slightly more and proportion sorry slightly less than they've done in the past, <laughs> and, and proportionally, proportionally less significantly less. Of yes, massive expansion in the pool of content that's out there. I don't. I just don't think you can plausibly fight back against that. Yep. You know the. The, the you know you need a license fee ten times the size yep. to make a discernible you know shift in that in that trajectory and that's just not credible. Um, 
so I, I as I as I said earlier, I think you know the BBC is to a degree a subscription service today, and that's understood by some people, and it will, as the years go by, come to be understood by more as more young households form, and then new habits come come to dominate. Um, so if 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 absolutely nothing happens, then yes, I think I I think you will see, you know a a you know, fewer and fewer people paying the license fee. It'll still be huge, um, you know, in that time horizon, five, ten years, you know, it's probably, you know, still paid for by 80% of the population, 85% of the population. Yep. But there is a growing set who've, who've opted out. Um, and there, you know, maybe that keeps going 10, 15 years, maybe two thirds of the population you know, elect to pay for the BBC, a third, a third done. And unless you decide that you're going to go for a degree of intervention that is greater than we've ever had, yep. say, even if you don't watch it, even if you have no interest in television at all, even if you just like reading books, you still have to pay for it. Which is possible, and, and I think there are plenty of people at the BBC who would argue for that. Uh, and there are some politicians who might contemplate that, but it would seem to be quite at odds with the current world, where you know, sort of choice and flexibility is the is the dominating thing. And in into that world, to sort of have a have a proposition that's compulsory, more compulsory than it's ever been, just seems a bit of a stretch to me. Possible. It, yeah, at, at, at a time when, I think I'm right, that a Netflix subscription is now part of the kind of bundle of goods that go into calculating the, the pension. Yeah, um, stuff that we pay for. Yeah. And nobody bats an eye that we, yeah. that we have to pay for stuff. So if that, if that, if that happens, if, if people, more people do sort of opt out of paying what we call the licence fee, um, and that drops down... Um, then I guess then I guess what's happened they are probably younger on it typically yep um, and they're less engaged you know they're, they're not they're not that engaged now yep um, and so perhaps if that does happen notwithstanding Tim Davies efforts to allocate a lot of resources to try and reconnect with younger cohorts which I think looks tough then I think we will have a new argument about Look, if only two thirds of the population are paying the license fee, maybe we should take some of that content out of there and put it back to being genuinely one hundred percent available, you know, not linked to any license fee or anything. Yep. And maybe that becomes a I'd new, find it a in a different new way. idea of PSB, and it's news and it's kids and it's events of national significance that you you don't want to exclude the. The population, you know, particularly younger, who have who have opted out. Um, so I, 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 my guess is we end up with a mixed ecology, with something that looks looks more like a subscription product uh, than we admit to today. Although I think it already is, <laughs> uh, and it's largely around you know the entertainment side of things, and we probably supplement it with a with something that's more you know, sort of deeply PSB. It's going to be fascinating, Jenny, particularly as to how to kind of pull those blueprints together in a way that then fits with the understandable concerns of commercial competitors and the, and the, the, the investments they've made and the way the market unfolds. You see, at the moment, I don't think anybody's pulling that blueprint together. Um, and I think that's, 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 in a way, the challenge as to um, uh, previous Secretary of State announced end of licence fee at the next charter renewal. I mean... I think John Whittingdale and others yeah, have said, yeah, I think John Whittingdale and others have said, well, hang on a minute, I'm not sure that's technically possible, let alone the right outcome in the, in the very short term. Yeah, it's very but, complicated to do that, particularly <coughs> the, I'll pick a number, three million DTT households uh, who don't have conditional access in their receivers. Yep. Uh, yeah, to transition to that world, you have to turn those people off. That's quite a big thing to do, particularly as they are, on average, older 
may not have a good broadband connection. Yeah, so I, I mean, not it's not impossible. It's not impossible. No, I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that. I'm old enough to remember the Channel Five retune, uh, which had to happen to squeeze Channel Five into DTT, DTT boxes. Yeah, so, but it's one thing telling somebody to retune the system it's to pick quite up something new. Another thing to say, you need a smart TV. Yeah. that's five hundred pounds. Yeah, and you need a broadband connection at you know twenty five pounds a month. Yeah, otherwise, I'm sorry, you've got any telly. Yeah, yeah, that's quite. Big. That's quite different. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that transition is quite, is quite tough. Um, look, some government may be brave enough to take it on, but it is, it is quite tough. So but again, coming so back my to your instinct has been that this just sort of happens. It just sort of quietly and slowly atrophies, rather than the big switch. And, and you know, Tim Davy has chosen to to try and fight it. I mean, he's 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 all in on preserving the status quo. Um, you know, a license fee, and and you, you know to try and build the case for that by re-engaging with younger audiences. Yep. To try and you know get them back watching, so that they're not opting out, or so that he's got a strong case that well they should still be paying because they are getting value from it. Um, he is he is all in on that. He he probably you know they to make this work. You know, as I say compared to the, what I think sort of happens naturally if you don't touch it, you probably need to tighten up the rules. Because yeah. we have accepted this idea of choice and we have said, basically, if you don't watch broadcast TV and you don't log into the iPlayer, you don't have to pay. Yeah. I, I think for Tim's strategy to work, he probably needs that tightening up. Whether that's something we can impose on people, whether we can tell people in the modern world I know you're not watching the BBC. I know you have no intention of watching the BBC. Possibly even what you regard as the BBC's news agenda really irritates you. You have to pay anyway. Yeah. Oh, and oh, and that's tough. <clears throat> that's tough. And uh, and in the meantime, uh, we're going to we're going to essentially regulate for prominence. Yes. So that it's you know you, you can find that stuff, but equally it will be essentially cross promoted to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, sus I suspect your successors of Sky at Sky have uh, uh, these debates will run and run. Yeah, prominence is a fascinating one. I mean, I I, I absolutely understand where they're coming from. Um, it was always a funny one at Sky because there was so much agitation about it. Uh, but from a Sky world, I don't think there was ever a moment's debate. I don't think if there'd been no rule, no rules, BBC One would have been at the top of the right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just like. <coughs> I mean, you'd be mad to do anything else. That is what your customers expected. Yeah. And you'd just be in complete denial if you did. You would irritate so many people to no effect of your, I don't know what, let's put Sky One or Sky Sports at the time. So, so, so there was all this regulation around prominence, probably none of which was necessary because we would have done it anyway. But I think, you know, I understand why they're concerned in a modern world, you know, in, in smart TV, guides uh, and the like, you know, the potential for people to you know, potentially outbid and, and pay to be prominent. I, I can see why they're nervous. I, I, I happen to think it's a form of behavioural regulation that's really, really, really hard. Very hard to articulate what the rule is. Best of luck. Um, I'm fascinated the journey that you've been on and also I suspect that the, the nuance in your own thinking. I, Wonder if the Mike Darcy of ten years ago, who was still at Sky, would have said essentially, "It's yes, there's lots of disruption and, ch and transformational change, but the most likely outcome is, or, the, or, or uh, probably the best outcome by the sound of it, is essentially evolution in the status quo, as opposed to there's a better way of doing this and we should do it like this." Well, I think it, you know the view at Sky was always fairly pragmatic. There was no point. You know, making arguments that, that that nobody would listen to, or 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 the audience, a relevant audience, would think you were mad or dangerous if they heard you even try to make them. So so you make arguments around the things that matter, and you know if if the world around you is basically happy with the way the world is, you know, you're really one step at a time talking about points in the margin yeah. rather than trying to tear the whole thing down and redesign it. You know, you have to think that there's a fundamental problem. 
and that there a bunch of other people think they have a fundamental problem. Because in the end, you, you know, we weren't like a philosophical campaign for yeah, yeah, yeah. We were running a business. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as I say, you know, the BBC was at the top of the EPG, and we were not campaigning, you know, for the BBC to be abolished because all our customers loved the BBC and we understood that. So you'd just be mad to <laughs> go on a complete collision path uh, with that reality. Well, these conversations are going to run and run. The debate's going to run and run. It'll be very interesting to see what, how all this unfolds over the course of the next five, ten years. You've been enormously generous uh, with your time and insights. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Enjoy. In our next episode, I'm joined by Sir Peter Bazalgette, a legendary producer, president of the Royal Television Society, ex-board member at Channel 4, and until very recently, chairman of ITV. We talk about how PSB has evolved over his career, and in particular, its importance to the current success and future growth of the UK's creative industries. In a first for this podcast, this episode will also be recorded live with an audience of British Screen Forum members who will hopefully have insightful questions of their own. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe.